Who's your trusted source when it comes to your facility questions, concerns, and needs? Ours is Hard True, the world's largest manufacturer of tennis court surfaces, equipment, and accessories for over 90 years. Partner with their trusted team of experts, along with collegiate greats Jamie Loeb, Alex Rybakov, and Dustin Taylor to bring the service provider of over 30 professional events annually to your facility. Whether it's the red clay of the Houston ATP, the green clay courts of the Charleston WTA, or the official hard court of World Team Tennis, Hard True has you covered. If you're looking to build a court, convert a hard court to clay, or simply resurface your hard court, work together with Hard True in their mission to lead the tennis industry by creating better places to play. To learn more about their state-of-the-art surfaces, along with their catalog customizable on-court accessories, check out hardtrue.com or call 877-442-7878 today. That's hardtrue.com or 877-442-7878 today. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Monday, March 8th. Clara Tossin, Petra Kvitova, Andre Rublev, and Diego Schwartzman deliver us the goods this weekend as all four of them emerge as the ATP and WTA tour-level champions this week. Of course, we had a ton of fun challenger college tennis action over the course of the weekend as well. All of that going to be covered on our Great Shot podcast feed. David Gertler joins me on Tuesday's podcast to talk about all of the challenger action. Matt Stokowiak, Chris Halioris joining me on Thursday for our weekly college tennis recap podcast. But on today's show, I want to talk about this weekend's pro tennis action. I want to highlight the WTA ATP level events. I want to play some clips for all of you listeners from the Doha final press conferences. Got to ask a couple of questions of Garbine. Muguruza and Petra Kvitova. I also got to ask some questions of Clara Tawson again on Saturday after her semifinal match. Unfortunately for me, and I apologize to all of you listeners, I was on the broadcast on Sunday for the Illinois men's tennis victory uh, 7-0 or 4-0. I suppose they stopped that completion over Nebraska, so I wasn't able to join that press conference. Nevertheless, I think those semifinal answers still reveal some insight into Tawson, so I want to play those clips for you today. Of course, the reason we're able to do this podcast day in, day out here at Crack Rackets because of the support we get from all of you listeners, because of the support we get from our Patreon family, and of course, from, because of the support we get from our friends at Midwest Sports. It is 66 degrees today in Indianapolis, the hottest day we have had of this 2021 year, and I if I didn't have so much tennis to catch up on, would be outdoors playing tennis myself. And look, I needed to update my shoes. Where did I go? MidwestSports.com. They've got all the latest equipment at all of the best prices. I used our promo code CR15 as well to get 15% off my order. Free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. And best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls, which I will use the next time I am on the tennis court. If you want to get in on the action yourself, just go to MidwestSports.com. 
Use that promo code CR15. We are so grateful for all of their support. The least we can do, uh, ask you to support them as well. MidwestSports.com. The promo code is CR15. We are also really excited to launch our CR Picks Pool with our friends at Midwest Sports starting tomorrow now. There will be more details on the Picks Pool, how you can get involved, available on our website, crackrackets.com, on our social media as well. But just quickly want to touch on what the Picks Pool is and give you guys a broader outline of why we're so excited for it, why we hope all of you will get involved. In case you've never been involved in a picks pool, what you do each and every day, as the title explains, is you make a pick. And of course, there are so many fantastic tennis events that happen across the globe on any given week. You look this week, we've got two WTA-level event, uh, level events on the women's side, three ATP-level events on the men's side, of course, countless challengers, countless ITF events as well. We want to get in on the action. We want to have all of you listeners be, you know, feel more engaged, not only with our Cracked Rackets team, but with the broader season at large. And the way we think we can do that most effectively, or another way we think we can do that most effectively beyond all of the podcast coverage, all of the coverage on our website, CrackRackets.com, is to do something like a picks pool. And what a picks pool is, again, is it's a competition, an open competition to all of you listeners, all of you out there in the tennis crack rackets universe, whatever you want to describe it as, um, where you can come make your picks, share your expertise, and have the chance to win some prizes as well. Again, all of the sign-up specific details are on our website, crackrackets.com. But what the picks pool is, each and every day, you're going to select one winner from across the ATP and WTA level events happening around the globe. Meaning, for the ATP level, it's got to be ATP 250s and up. So, you know, no challengers, unfortunately, for now. No ITF level events. For the WTAs, it's a little bit different. Or maybe we do have challengers. I'll have to look in the rules. That may be the exception. Again, it's more specific in the rules. In the WTA level, you can have 100Ks, 125Ks, and up. Nothing below, I believe it's that 125K level. And you can pick one winner each day from, again, any event happening across the globe. If you think you're certain today it's going to be Novak Djokovic advancing or you're certain it's going to be like a Jessica Pegula advancing, whatever it may be, you pick that person. Uh, If you are correct, you will get one point. If you are incorrect, you will get no points. Whoever at the end of the month has the highest point total will win the Crack Rackets picks pool for that month. And at the end of each month, due to our friends at Midwest Sports, or thanks to them, I should say, we're going to give away a $25 gift card to the person who accumulates the most points. We're also going to give a $25 gift card to the person with the longest active win streak. Now, there are more rules involved. For instance, you can't pick the same person twice in the same event. So you can't just pick... Novak Djokovic each and every day he's competing because where's the fun in that? You can only pick them once per event, meaning if I want Andre Rublev at some point, I got to pick it wisely because if I use him in the third round and I, I can't use him in the quarterfinals, semifinals, or finals after that. And obviously Rublev's just the example there. That's ditto for any player you pick during the week. You're not allowed to pick them again twice later on in the week. And again, how to sign up for that, more about the rules, more about the updates we're going to be given. All of that is available on our website, crackedrackets.com. But we are really excited to get that rocking and rolling again. It's a way for us to engage the broader tennis community, hopefully get all of you in on the action. So we hope all of you listeners will participate in that. Now, I apologize 
for the long-winded intro there. You came here to hear about this weekend's tennis. So with that in mind, let's get into the action and let's start with the event that caught my attention most from throughout the weekend. And of course, Petra Kvitova was outstanding in Doha. Andre Rublev, again, outstanding in Rotterdam. Even in Buenos Aires, Diego Schwartzman becoming the first Argentinian player since 2008 to win a slam on his home soil. That's something we obviously think is awesome here at Cracked Rackets. But any of you listeners who have been with us a long time know I'm a fan of the next generation, the men, the women, the young up-and-coming players. I think we are entering such an exciting time in both the men's and women's games, and we saw another young star break through this past week in Lyon as Clara Tossin, the 18-year-old in her third professional-level, WTA-level, I should say, main draw event, breaks through and wins the first title of her career. She doesn't drop a set in any of her two qualifying or five main draw matches to earn the title this past week in Lyon. Now, you look for her. I mean, the week started off so well. A 3-4 and four victory over number one seed Katarina Alexandrova. She then knocks off Babos and Georgie before playing number seven seed Paula Bedosa-Gibert in the semifinals. And, you know, Bedosa-Gibert was a little bit winded. Her legs weren't fully there given she had played a long three-set match against Kiki Mladenovic the day before. But, you know, Clara Tossin was playing her sixth match of the week. So in terms of, you know, she had been on court just as long. And Tossin took it to Bedosa Jaber. And then, you know, she goes down an early break in the final to love to Victoria Golubic. Almost broke back immediately after getting broken in the opening game 4-1 all. But then just comes out swinging. And I mean, you look for the numbers for her all week long. Her first serve percentage, she was under 56% in six of her seven matches. Yet in each of her matches, she was, you know, hovering around. For, she was averaging for the week a 74.5% win percentage on her first serve. She was over 50% on her second serve in each and every match she played. And look, she was just outstanding. If you give Clara Tossin time to set and her feet and, you know, hit the ball cleanly... I'd say six out of seven, six out of seven, excuse me, six or seven out of 10 times against the level of competition she's currently facing, the shot ends up being either a winner or, you know, forcing an error or setting up an easy winner on the next shot. That's how the, you know, that's how much the ball explodes off of her racket. And that backhand is just a slingshot. It explodes through the court. And I actually like when she's on defense, she'll really elevate that ball and throw it you know, 40 feet over the net and just hit this high loopy topspin shot that gets her back to neutral. And then, you know, the forehand grip is a little bit extreme, but when she has time to set and connect, she hits this heavy topspin shot. She can go angle. She can go down the line. She can catch it early. She's comfortable taking balls early and moving forward and taking returns early as well. I mean, I'm taking the deep breath there, folks, because I don't know what else to say other than she's the real deal. I mean, you look at her now over her last 52 weeks, she's 39-8, and eight, and you look in her career now, she's made 10 total finals. She's 8-2 and two in those 10 finals. Now, nine of them have been at the w, uh, the ITF level, but still, she's now, I think, 6-0 and oh in her last six finals, and, you know, she's done it on hard court. She's done it on clay. She's done it on carpet. She had the big win over Jennifer Brady in the first round of last year's French Open that clearly was foreshadowing the success that was to come. And 
I mean, she beat Shelby Rogers in Texas at the end of last season in a three-set match. She, you know, lost to Ann Lee, but we've seen what Ann Lee has done at the WTA level, and I just think put Tossin on the list. I think her movement is the thing she needs to move on the most, uh, work on the most, because when you can get her stretched, uh, you know, she will slice the ball and leave it short, and I think players with bigger weapons than, you know, Gullibic or Bedosa probably take advantage of that a little bit better than the way some of these players, uh, uh, you know, in Lyon did this week, but... She's got the well-rounded package, folks. I mean, she is the real deal, only 18 years old. And when you're saying for an 18-year-old, yeah, I'd like their movement to be a little bit better. That's probably the best thing you can say about a young player. And again, you look for her 39-8 and in her last 52 weeks. But since the start of the 2019 season, she's 94-24, and folks. That's just ridiculous. She's winning 80% of her matches across levels. She's a former world junior number one. She's got the pedigree, and, you know, it's not a shock to see a former young junior who had success at the junior level go on to be a good pro, and it feels like we've seen that a lot of late in particular at the uh, in the women's game, but throw Clara Tawson on that list. I mean, you look here in this final against Gullibic, she made only 48.2% of her first serves, but won 66.7, so two-thirds of her first serve points, won 55.2% of her second serve points. She uh, holds Gullibic, you know, you look on the return points for overall in the match, I should say Tossin was 40 of 71, so won 56% of her return points, 61% of her serving points, that gets the job done, folks. I mean, she just overwhelmed Gullibic when she was able to get the ball to the backhand wing of Gullibic, who's got a wonderful one-hander and is able to change directions. But, you know, when Tossin was able to hit that heavy forehand into the Gullibic backhand side, she struggled. And then Tossin's able to open up the court. And the moment Gullibic turns to slice, Tossin's able to hit through the ball, take control of the point. She was spectacular. And, I mean, it's a title well-deserved. She's now up into the top 100 for the first time in her career, up to number 96. You know, again, she this was just her third WTA main draw, and she wins her first title in just her eighth WTA main draw match, and she was spectacular. She's the real deal, folks, and now she's inside the top 100 and will have the opportunity to play all of the main draws of the slams for the rest of the year and play WTA-level events instead of the 15, 25Ks that she's been having so much success at. And look, maybe she struggles transitioning a little bit, and that's something you can expect out of every young player as they play higher-level events and you continue to translate to the next level. But she's got the pro weapons. She's got top 100 weapons. She's clearly having success. It's translating. You watch how calm and composed she is. And, you know, in that semifinal match, there were a couple of terrible line calls that went against her. And there was another one early in the final that went against her. And she just stayed calm and stayed focused and got the job done. She was incredible this past week in Lyon, a well-deserved title for Clara Tawson. And, you know, again, just looking at some of the other results we saw over the weekend for Golubic, who, you know, 7-6 in the third win over Fiona Farrow in the semifinals. What a physical match that was. And Golubic's backhand was on full display. She was going down the line. She was throwing in slice to get Farrow off of her spot. And then the Golubic on the run forehand was particularly impressive. She was effective with her serve, comfortable moving forward, comfortable throwing in drop shot. You know, Fiona Farrow was up a break a couple of times in that third set, and it felt like she was just inching ready to uh, pull away, but, 
you know, sometimes that second serve hangs a little bit short. Sometimes if you can get Farrow stretched as well as she moves, and she might be one of the five to ten best movers in the women's game right now. Uh, Golubica did a great job of attacking her and just staying composed and, you know, not letting the scoreboard get to her head. So a fantastic result for Golubic, who with this result now you look for her. She is up to number back up to number 102 in the rankings for the 28-year-old. So she'll get into slam qualifying, which again is what you want at that stage. <clears throat> Excuse me, is what you're always asking for as any professional tennis player. She probably gets into the main draw if that ranking sustains over the next few months, but was a great event for her. For Pharaoh, uh, she was right there. I mean, she was absolutely right there, and I know she got bageled in that second set, but it did feel like I would have loved to see a Pharaoh toss in battle because Pharaoh Burrell, the previous round, was really, really fun. And, you know, for Bedosa Jaber, yeah, she lost to Tossin, but she was kind of, you know, her legs were dead by that second set, and she had won a fantastic three set match over Mladenovic the day before, and you could kind of tell she wore down as that match went on. But again, overall, Leon, very, very high level of playing, considering, you know, the headline event was in Doha last week considering we had so many top 50 players there the level we saw in Lyon speaks once again to the depth we see in the women's game right now fantastic weekend Ooh, by the way I did have the chance to speak with Clara Tawson after her semifinal victory over Bedosa Jaber wanted to talk to her about her struggles early in that match and then again just her mindset what she's doing to recover and if you missed any of my earlier conversations with Tawson in the week go check out our cracked interviews podcast you can find those in the from the presser uh segments you can also find I believe my Friday questions for her on last Friday's mini break podcast but with that in mind West off roll the Clara Tawson audio thank you Raquel and congratulations on the result Clara i Curious, you talk about not playing your best tennis to start today's match, and you know you have come out striking the ball so well in all of your previous matches. When things weren't working early on, you know what was going through your head. What were the adjustments you were trying to make on the court to find your rhythm early in the match? Um, I think the main reason I wasn't playing as I wanted in the beginning of the first set was my legs were not following my shots. Um. I was too far from the ball, so I hit the same kind of shots I've done all week, but I was too far from the ball, so I missed, of course. Um, yeah, I was just trying to get my legs going and just um, keeping in my head that I needed to stay aggressive and not let her take over the points. Um, and obviously, I came back and I played really good at 4 all, I think. And from there, I think I played uh, pretty solid and pretty good as I've done the whole week. Yeah, I would agree with that. I thought you were pretty solid this week, to say the least. But uh, to get to something Chris mentioned earlier in his question in terms of how you're feeling physically, you talk about maybe being a little bit sluggish with your movement at the start. How have you treated your recovery this week after matches? Are you someone who will go back to the practice court or get a late night fitness session in? Are you someone who likes to, you know, again, rest up as soon as the match is done? How have you treated your recovery? I don't really have any kind of rituals like that. Uh, these past couple of days, I haven't done any practice after my matches. I've just been chilling. <laughs> um, but the first couple of days, I practice after my matches. And I feel good. I feel comfortable on court. And yeah, I just uh, try to relax as much as possible. 
Mm-hmm. And with your result uh, this week, I believe you inch closer and closer to the top 100. You look uh, in the live rankings. I think a win tomorrow will certainly guarantee you a spot in uh, that top 100. Is that something you think about early in your career is getting to the top 100 in singles? Or is that just something you know will come with everything else? I don't know anything for sure, but um, yeah, of course, I want to enter into the top 100. And I don't know if it's going to be tomorrow or if it's going to be in a year or something, but it's definitely the things I work towards. And with this week, it's helped a lot on the ranking, I guess. I haven't checked. <laughs> so um, yeah, it's not the, it's something I think about and I'm not going to think about it tomorrow either. I'm just going to do the same as I've done the last nine days I don't know (laughs) no well then I won't offer you an update yet I'll let you find that on your own when you're ready but congratulations on all of your success this week and good luck tomorrow so again, congratulations to Toss, and hopefully you all heard in those press conferences. That's someone who clearly thinks about the game a lot, is very cerebral, very tuned into what she needs to do to become a top-ranked player, and you know, hearing her responses to some of the other questions she was asked, she clearly also follows the game closely. She's a student of the game. She's someone who, in her spare time, is watching tennis. Uh, it's going to be really fun to follow Clara Tossin over the course of her career. Not a shock at all to see her, given her recent results, get in the winner's circle in Lyon. With that in mind, let's move on to the action in Doha. And I recapped all of the prior matches earlier in the week because Doha was a day ahead of everything in preparation for Dubai. So only need to talk about, I believe, the semifinals and finals. Petra Kvitova, 6-4, 6-4 win over Jess Pegula. You know, that match, I think I talked about that match actually already, but that was just a broken match. It was a funky match. It was windy. The tennis wasn't clean, and Kvitova's power just transcended the wind a little bit better than Jess Pegula. But that set up a really fun final between Garbine Muguruza, who, in my opinion, has been the second-best player in the women's game thus far this season. She obviously had the match points on Osaka at the Australian Open and, you know, really blitzed through the draw here in Doha, dating all the way back to her second round win over Arena Sabalenka. She wins that match in, I believe, three sets. And then, you know, she follows that up with a straight set victory over Maria Sakari. Got the pullout result from Vika Azarenka after Azarenka had to withdraw due to a back injury. And I do think that influenced the result we saw in the final a little bit because it wasn't as bad the wins as the semifinals in Kvitova and Pagula, but it wasn't great. And you could just tell Kvitova was kind of like, oh, these conditions aren't bad. I played in way worse yesterday. And it took Muguruza, you know, I actually don't think she ever truly found her rhythm in this match. And again, that's a huge credit to Petra Kvitova, who just hit through every opponent she faced here this week. And, you know, you look at the stats for Kvitova, she made two-thirds of her first serves one. 64% of the first serve points, 61% of her second serve points saved, six of the seven break points she faced. She also, you look at her return points, won 24 of the 42 return points she played. She was at 57% there. She was just so effective playing first strike tennis and did such a good job of taking power to the Muguruza forehand side because Muguruza way better at absorbing and redirecting pace when her backhand is targeted and just... Again, Kvitova never allowed Muguruza to find her rhythm. She played aggressive. She continued to keep Muguruza on her back foot. And, you know, she went big on her returns and played with comfortable margins and just did 
everything you expect from a champion like Petra Kvitova, who played her best tennis this week. And you look for Kvitova now, who wins her 28th title of her career in Doha. She is now 28-10 in in finals overall and 24-7, in a 77.4 win percentage, according to our friend Tumani Cariel, at events greater than the WTA 250 level. He points out when she's playing well enough to reach the final, she'll probably win. And I hate, I, I don't hate to say it. That's just a good point. That's a very good uh, observation because her power tennis, I, I mentioned this neighborhood all of the time. She's in the Serena Williams power tennis neighborhood. Her, Osaka, you know, they let Sabalenka hang out there from time to time. And I think Alina Rabakina submitted an application and they're like, you're not quite ready yet, but we'll keep an eye on you. Uh, they've just, Petra Kvitova has that sort of firepower. She's got it. And when it's landing, when she's moving as well as she is right now, uh, she can play some absolutely fantastic tennis. And I had the chance to ask Kvitova a couple of questions following her victory to learn a little more insight about how she dealt with the conditions and what this victory means to her, where she would, you know, place her tennis now compared to maybe earlier in her career. Let's hear those answers. Thank you, Alex, and congratulations, Petra, on the title. Um, Just wanted to talk about the match and the conditions today versus yesterday. How much easier was it for you to play your best tennis without the swirling wind today, and do you think playing a match like that yesterday uh, is what allowed you to play so well from start to finish today? Um, First of all, I think there was a little bit less wind day, not much, but a little bit less, which was, of course, much better for both of us. I know that Garbin didn't play the semifinal yesterday, so for her it was something which I faced it yesterday already, and it wasn't really easy. And mentally it was very tough yesterday, I would say. I, uh, this morning when I warm up, or afternoon, I felt, oh, I can't do it anymore. I mean, I had it yesterday, and I have to say, face it for another time now. So it was like mentally... I was like so tired of it, of the win. But as I mentioned, it wasn't that bad. And maybe that helped me for today's match, uh, the experience from yesterday. Um, but uh, yeah, I think, you know, sometimes when you just play with the wind, you just really have to play a little bit more carefully, I would say. Mm-hmm. And I won't ask you to look back in the past 10 years, but I will say for the past year now, you're, I think, 26-8 and eight overall. You've made a slam semifinal, slam quarterfinal, two Doha finals with the title here today. Uh, you talk about not imagining playing at 30 years old. Is it fair to say you're playing the best tennis of your career? And obviously, happy early birthday to you. Uh, what is leading you to play so well at this point of your career? Wow, uh, it's tough. It's really tough to compare myself um, ten years ago and now. If I'm gonna, if I'm playing uh, the best tennis, um, of course, when I was 21, I won a Wimbe. 24, I won a Wimbe, and uh, it's uh, it's tough to compare. I mean, I'm different player in person. I would say, in that time when I was younger, I I felt like probably more fearless that I, you know, didn't really have anything to lose, and I just smash it from everywhere now i think i'm more thinking about it uh about the tactic as well about the pressure as well because the pressure it's always there every every match is there and uh, sometimes it's tough to deal with of course but um yeah i think i'm a little bit different anyway but i'm still able to win the title so that's good
So a fantastic performance from Petra Kvitova, who now in her last 52 weeks, 26 and 8. And you look, you know, two Doha finals last year. She lost to Sabalenka. This year she wins the title. She's got an Australian Open quarterfinal, a Roland Garros semifinal, U.S. Open round of 16, all during that time span as well. The title, as I mentioned this week in Doha, she's playing outstanding tennis. In my opinion, the best of her career because, you know, her... Her shot selection now matches her firepower, right? She's just so much more uh, measured in everything she does on court, and I believe she's currently ranked number 10, but again, when she plays her best tennis, she's proven she can beat anyone on tour, and so a fantastic result for Kvitova. Look forward to seeing her following it up next week in Dubai, and I look forward for Muguruza as well, who again played really, really good tennis all week long, just unfortunately ran into a buzzsaw in the final in Kvitova. And I wanted to ask Muguruza, does she, you know, how she feels her level has been early in the season and a little bit more about the final. I had the chance to do so. Westoff, roll the clips. Congratulations again, Garbine, on a fantastic week. You talk about uh, rushing to your next event. This is now going to be, uh, you've played four tournaments. It'll be your fifth tournament next week. I'm curious for you, does it feel at all as though the tour has returned to some sense of normalcy? Obviously, we're still playing amidst a pandemic, but, you know, five events through the first nine weeks of the season for you. Do you feel as though you're refinding some sort of rhythm on tour? Totally. I feel like this year I saw the calendar and it's pretty much the same as always, um, except last year. I feel like this year we're starting to 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 be where we left it, kind of. You know, we have some crowd, we have big calendar tournaments, so it is exciting. And I do feel like I'm competing a lot more, so it's um it's great because we love competing. You know, we train hard, but you need the tournaments after to to go ahead and and you know let the racket talk. Mm -hmm. And I can see the smile on your face when you answer that question, and I think this is something you've been asked about throughout the week, but to have fans here this week, to have that sort of environment, even losing in the final, when you look at your experience for the week, uh, you know, how joyful is it to be back on court in this environment? It is very nice. At the end, you know, we play, um, we play, you know, to put a show and to have fans and to have big stadiums full of people. I think that that's the best part of sport, you know, to go out there and feel and feel the, the crowd. Sometimes it's with you sometimes it's against you but that's you know that's the competition without them you know it's just me and another player in front of me and silence you know so we love the fans yeah i, I mean again fantastic result for garbine muguruza i think she will win a slam this season. I do think she's that good, and her skill set translates across surfaces. We've obviously seen her have success at both Wimbledon and the French Open, and then I think come U.S. Open, everyone probably leaned towards Osaka, but Garbine Muguruza is outstanding uh, with her ranking now, and you look for her with this final Muguruza back up into the top uh, six. She's really holding at number 16. It's crazy to think Garbine Muguruza is the 16th ranked player in the world. Uh, right above her at number 15 is Iga Sviantek. Number 13, Jennifer Brady. Uh, you know, it's crazy to see Kvitova at number 10 as well, given how well they have all played of late, but... 
you know, I think we all know you look for Petra Kvitova now. She is currently amongst active players. I want to say, like, the, I think she's got the fourth most titles behind Serena, Venus, and Kim Kleisters. Uh, She's six ahead of Simona Halep, seven ahead of Vika Azarenka. She's also now made the seventh most finals of active players. She trails only Halep, Azarenka, Kuznetsova, Kleisters, Venus, and Serena. She solidified herself as a Hall of Famer. She solidified herself as an all-time great long before this week, but she reminded all of us of that fact again this past week. So fantastic performance from Petra, and again, it was a really fun event overall in Doha. Let's flip gears now. Talk about the men, and you know, it's not going to surprise anyone to hear this fact. Andre Rublev won another ATP 500 event. It's his fourth straight ATP 500 victory. With that result, by the way, you look in terms of the numbers for him. He's now won 20 consecutive matches at the ATP 500 level, according to Tennis TV. That's the third longest streak in history behind Andy Murray at 21 matches. Roger Federer at 28 matches, has the highest consecutive streak. Rafa's at 19. Djokovic, Del Potro, 17. When those are the five names you're joining on a list, you're doing something right. If you're Andre Rublev and you look for him now, the four consecutive titles, his streak matches Federer and Murray, but they both all three trail a five-tournament win streak Roger Federer had from 2014 through 2015 at the 500 level. That comes from at only Roger can fly. And then you look for Andre Rublev now. Alex Virov has made 22 finals in his pro career. Daniil Medvedev's made 16. Tsitsipas has made 12. Rublev's made 10. So he's the fourth guy on that list, and he really has separated himself from everyone else, excluding those other three I mentioned, because... You look for Rublev now over his last 52 weeks. He's 39-8. and eight. He obviously has the four ATP 500 titles. He's got the U.S. Open quarterfinals, Roland Garros quarterfinals, Australian Open quarterfinals. He's a sure thing, right? Unless you're a fellow next-gen co- cohort, unless you're one of the big three, you're just not going to beat him. And I mean... Dan Evans beat him at the Western Southern Open last year. Hubie Hercots beat him in Rome last year. Other than that, his nine losses, Medvedev, Tsitsipas, Tsitsipas, Wawrinka, Nadal, Medvedev. That's a pretty impressive list if you're Andre Rublev. And obviously, he's beaten guys like Tsitsipas and Dominic Thiem and uh, Denis Shapovalov. And, you know, he's beaten RBA. And he's, he's beating everyone he's supposed to beat now. You have to be one of the elite of the elites to beat him. And even then, you got to get a little bit lucky because he's winning 79.1% of his first serves over his last 52 weeks. When you're in the 75% or over, that's the elite of the elite category. He's at 54 per six, four point six percent of the second serve. He's at an 87.5% hold percentage. That would be, you know, again, a little bit lower, 3% lower than prime John Isner, but right around prime Roger Federer levels. And, you know, he's breaking serve 30% of the time or 29.1. That's not quite Djokovic Nadal levels, but it's only a few percentage points short. And, you know, he watched the eye test, the way he controls points with his forehand. The moment Marton Fucevic gave him a forehand in that final, the moment Marton Fucevic hit a slice or, or Tsitsipas hit a slice in the semifinal, Rublev capitalized. He found his forehand. He goes inside in, then inside out, or inside out, then inside in, whatever pattern he needs to do to go open court, open court. And then he's at the net, and his backhand is no longer just a placeholder. It's a weapon. His ability to go down the line keeps opponents honest, keeps them from just 
continuing to target that ad side, unless your name's Daniil Medvedev, who is just the exception to every rule when facing Andre Rublev. But, I mean, you look for him, the three-set win he had over Shardy to survive in those quarterfinals, and then to beat Tsitsipas three and six, beat an incredibly informed Fucevic six and four, it was just a mature performance from Andre Rublev, whose forehand is the biggest shot in every match he plays. And, you know, again, his his movement gets better with every passing day. He's never going to be a comfortable volleyer, but he gets better at that as well. And he knows where to go with his volleys. He does a lot better job of making the first volley as opposed to overcooking it or fluffing it in the net. It was just a well-rounded performance from him all weekend long. And, you know, again, credit to Fucevic, who's got Thomas Burdich legs, folks. Those things are jacked, and he moves so well, and uh, he would fit in at your local country club just beautifully. If you saw Martin Fucevic playing at Oakland Hills Country Club, which is the one where they, the really nice golf one from the place where, near my parents' house, anyways, um, he would just fit in on those courts because it just looks beautiful. It looks so effortless. He tracks down balls, and when you think you have him on the run, that's when he shows his on-the-run strength. That backhand is just a rock. It absorbs and redirects so well. He moves in slice on that wing. Also, he's got the big first serve. He's your modern player, folks. I mean, you talk about Marton Fucevic. He's, what, six foot two, six foot three, moves well, and clearly in the prime of his career. And it was, you know, if you told him before the tournament, hey, you're going to have to beat Davidovich, Fokina, Tommy Paul, and Borna Choric to get to the final, he would have been like, yes, sign me up for that. But of course, those are some of the top players in the game nowadays. And yes, they're young, but this is what happens at the 500 level. There was no Djokovic or Nadal in the draw. The top four seeds were Medvedev, Tsitsipas, Zverev, and Rublev. So it's a next, you know, the next-gen guys are here, by the way. They're 24 years old, 23 years old now. They're ready to play. And Fucevic just physically was a cut above all of them, except for Andre Rublev, who just the big forehand in the end uh, was able to get Fucevic uncomfortable. I mean, you look at the match, it was a 7-6, 6-4 affair. There were only, I think, one. there's only one break of serve in the match. It came in the second set, but... Yeah, that's that's grown man tennis, and you know Rublev just did a better job attacking the second serve. Uh, he was you know holds Fucevic to eighteen of thirty eight on those second serve points. Rublev only had to play nineteen second serve points in total, and was twelve of nineteen on those occasions. He helped serve every time, was able to find plus one forehands, and got the one break of serve he needed. A fantastic week of tennis for Andre Rublev, who now in the live rankings you look for him, he is up to number eight, which is or still at number. I suppose, which is his career high. And, you know, the gap between him and Zverev slowly narrowing uh, for him to get to number seven. And then for Roger Federer, who's still at number six, you know, you, you never know. Of course, you do look at the rankings this week. We have a new number two player for, I think, the first time since like 2004 or something like that. I'll look it up right now as Daniil Medvedev moves up to the number two spot uh, as Rafael Nadal drops out of number three. And yeah, I want to see the stat because I think it's the first time since like 2004 that a player not named Nadal, Djokovic, Federer, or Murray is ranked in the top two. And by the way, that's a testament to these next-gen guys who I'll continue to emphasize uh, are making their breakthrough. I mean, it's undeniable now. You look in the ATP top 10, Medvedev, Tsitsipas, Zverev, Rublev, Berrettini, all top 10 players, Shapovalov's number 11. Uh, They're here, folks, and 
I mean, yeah, again, if someone tweeted out what the ATP website used to look like the last time a player not named in the big four was ranked inside the top two, and it, it, it's very, very funny. It's like an AOL dial-up page, which I feel like for some of you listeners, you're like, I don't even know what that is. But uh, nevertheless, again, you look uh, here for uh, Daniil Medvedev, uh, for Daniil Medvedev, excuse me, for Andre Rublev. Fantastic result for him. For Daniil Medvedev to move up to number two, obviously incredible. And by the way, Novak Djokovic surpassing Roger Federer this week uh, with the most weeks spent at the number one spot in the rankings of all time. Do we want to get into the GOAT debate right now? No, I'm not going to get into the GOAT debate on my own. But as time passes, more of these records are going to belong to Djokovic, folks, even more than he already has. And if you're Roger Federer, you are holding on to number 20 for dear life. You're like, Dominic Team, make your breakthrough at the French Open right now, please. And Tsitsipas, Zverev, all of these guys, start winning hardcourt slams because I'm going to try and defend Wimbledon, and I need you guys to not let these other two uh, win the Grand Slam count because if they get that— then I don't know how many records Federer has left. Nevertheless, no one's denying, by the way, Roger Federer's excellence. I'm just saying Djokovic and Nadal may just eclipse all of his records. And it's a lot easier to eclipse records when you have someone to chase, right? Roger Federer has been chasing himself for the past 10 years, but uh, a a fascinating dynamic. Again, it's clearly a changing time right now. In the men's game, Rotterdam, very emblematic of that, uh, as has the South American swing, by the way, considering we saw uh, Juan Manuel Serendolo, the 19-year-old, a first-time ATP Tour main draw participant, win the event last week in Cordoba. We had another, uh, almost, I should say, another Serendolo breakthrough and win the title this past week uh, in Buenos Aires. Now, the good news for Argentinians is win or lose for Diego Schwartzman, they would have had an Argentinian champion. But the good news for Diego Schwartzman, who lost in the final of last year's Buenos Aires event, he earns his first title on home soil and the first becomes the first Argentinian man uh, since, I believe, uh, or no, Buenos Aires, he lost his last final in 2019, excuse me, not 2020. But he becomes the first Argentinian since David Nelbandian in 2008 to win a a title on home soil in Argentina. Schwartzman, uh, fantastic all week long, knocks off Munar, Kasmenovic, and then Surindolo. Three next-geners, by the way, folks, in the quarterfinals, semifinals, and finals, respectively, all in straight sets to earn the title. Look... Diego Schwartzman was just a cut above everyone in this event. He was in full control, by the way, the way he was moving the ball around the court, the way he was moving himself, his ability to find the short angles cross court, his ability to keep opponents honest by going down the line, the amount of pressure he puts on you throughout the course of the match. I know I said that all very fast, and it's not to be disrespectful of Diego Schwartzman, who now, with this win, is up to number nine in the live rankings, which is one off his career high of number eight, and has certainly been a top 10 player uh, over the course of his past, you know, I would say 52 weeks of play. You look for him now, his record 24-13, the French Open semifinal, the Rome Masters final, the Buenos Aires title here. He also uh, made the quarterfinals in Paris, made the final in Cologne. He's been really good 
over the past year of play, and you know I think this is a well-deserved title as well to kind of put a cap in the bow of this past, or I suppose of this entire pandemic. He he's earned a title. He's been good enough to have a title under his belt since the tour restarted post-pandemic, and so uh, again a, a feather in his cap, I suppose, with the result this week. Just quickly on Francisco Serendolo who three-set win over Pablo Andahar, three-set win over Albert Ramos Vinolas, was a three-set win over Benoit Pair in the round of 16, and, you know, was a straight-set win over Federico Correa, but four and five in his first-round main draw match. The guy's the real deal, folks. I mean, I've talked about him at length. David and I are going to talk about him certainly in our Challenger podcast, but you look for him now, last 52 weeks for Surandolo, 37-9. and nine. I've mentioned it before, but a ton of t- I think it's three titles, maybe four titles at the Challenger level, and uh, you look for Surandolo. I think it's four finals and three titles. Yeah, he made—no, excuse me. It's five finals and three titles, though, he's made at the Challenger. Oh, no. Excuse me. Let's try that one more time. Uh, Four finals, three titles, correct, at the challenger level in the past six months, and then this Buenos Aires final as well. Now, all these results have come on clay for him, but again, he has earned the right to make a final at the ATP 250 level on clay. He has been that good of late. He's the sort of person who always breaks through in this South America swing. And with the final, he's up to number one, 12 in the rankings for the 22-year-old. It's a really good place to be. And he was fantastic this weekend in Buenos Aires. Kasmenovic was a good bounce back win for him. The three-set victory over Diego Montiero in the round of 16 straight sets over Laszlo Jure in the quarterfinals was a good week just across the board. High level of play in Buenos Aires. Another very fun event in this South American swing. And again, uh, just so much tennis. Top to bottom. Two ATP, two WTA events last week. Three challengers. Tons of ITF action. It's a fun time to be a tennis fan. And of course, that fun continues here this week as we look as we have two more WTA events, three more ATP events, and that doesn't even include the challengers you look in Dubai, the WTA 1000 level event, whatever that means nowadays, the top seed Alina Svitolina uh, in in the event, she got a bye first round, as did number two seed in the event, I believe, is Karolina Pliskova, of course, you look at the other seeds across the board, the number three seed, Sabalenka, uh, the number nine seed is Muguruza, eight seed, Sviantec, five seed is Burton's. You've also got as your top four seeds, Kvitova, uh, top 10 seeds, excuse me, Kvitova, Benchich, and I mentioned Svitolina already, but you see people like Madison Keys and, you know, again, Own Jabour, Elena Rabakina, Vondrusova, Coco Goff, tons of dangerous floaters. It's a really high level event, folks, again this week, which makes sense because it's the thousand level event now. No Osaka, no Barty, no Halep, no Andrescu, but fantastic tennis on our hands and you know we are sure to talk about that event more later in the week we are also sure to talk about the event going on in Guadalajara your top seed Nadia Podoroska number two seed Maria Buzkova your number four seed Sarah Saribas Tormo your number three seed on the week Anna Blinkova we also see Leila and Fernandez in the draw of course the dangerous young Canadian Kaya Yuvan in the draw a ton of dangerous people throughout so of course we will keep an eye on the action. And again, I have press credentials to the two WTA events in Dubai and Guadalajara, respectively. So be on the lookout for more from the presser segments throughout the week on our Cracked Interviews podcast. Of course, for the ATP action, 
return of Roger Federer this week, folks. He's the number two seed in Doha. He's going to take on either Jeremy Chardy or Dan Evans in his opening round match. Of course, the top seed there this week, Dominic Team. Your three seed, Andre Rublev. Four seed, Shapovalov. You've also got guys like Wawrinka, Goffin, and Fritz, and Bautista Gooch, Sasha Bublik. All dangerous floaters in Doha. All something to keep an eye on. Let's move next to Marseille. Your top seeds, Daniil Medvedev, number one. Tsitsipas, number two. Your number three seed, Karen Hachinov. Your number four seed, Ugo Umber. Of course, you've also got guys like Yannick Sinner, uh, Dennis Novak, who's been playing so well of late. Davidovich Fokina playing so well of late. Kaini Shikori, your number six seed, Cam Nori in there as well. So... That should be a fun one. That should be really good on the indoor hard courts of Marseille. And then last but not least, the South American swing continues in Santiago. Top seeds Christian Guerin, Benoit Pair, Laszlo Jure, and Pablo Andohar all in action. You'll also see both Sarandolo brothers. A Tiafo, Nicholas Jerry, round one match, really fun. I know Holger Rune today, three-set win over Sebastian Baez. I see a Delbonis Munar matchup. That'll be really fun first round. Daniel Galan, who had so much success at the challenger level and at the French Open last year in the draw. So good level action, top two, I should say fun action from sunrise to sundown, no matter where you live across the globe this week on the ATP and WTA tours. Again, apologies for not talking about the college action or the challenger action on today's show. David Gertler going to join me on Tuesday's Great Shot podcast. Matt Stokowiak, Chris Hallior is joining me Thursday for a college tennis podcast. So we will cover that action later on in the week. And of course, we will monitor, we will monitor, excuse me, all of this week's action as play begins across the globe. But of course, if you have missed out on anything, be sure to go check out our website, crackrackets.com, where you can find all of our latest podcasts. You need more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. We are at Cracked Rackets. You want to message me directly, I'm at Great Shot Pod. Of course, again, if a picks pool is something you are interested in, you want to submit picks day in, day out, prove you're better than me. I'm going to be playing along. I bet I can beat all of you. I bet I can pick a winner without picking the same person twice in one week every day in the month of April. Give me two weeks to get it under sorts, but every day in the month of April, I'm predicting a correct win streak. If you think you can outdo me, come compete, and you can find all of the details on our website, crackedrackets.com. Shout out, as always, to the super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westoff for the of an editing job they do day in, day out, making all of this possible. Uh, but with that in mind, for oh, and shout out, by the way, all as always, to our friends at Midwest Sports. Go to MidwestSports.com. Use the promo code CR15. But with that in mind, for my wonderful super producers, Fligner and Westoff, our friends at Midwest Sports, and all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break, and we'll see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.